Wasn't that beautiful? What a privilege to hear that. Good morning, everyone. As many of you, I'm sure all of us know, during the week, there was a devastating cyclone that struck Fiji, Cyclone Winston. The most powerful cyclone that's ever struck the Southern Hemisphere. Winds in excess of 200 miles an hour, or 320 kilometers an hour, devastated the islands of Fiji. I have a friend, an expatriate ministering there, his name's Bob Larson. Earlier today, the Adventists of Fiji gathered and worshiped. Most of the churches are destroyed, all of the churches are damaged. <clears throat> Bob said that the first three hymns that they sang this morning, the first one, a shelter in the time of storm. The second one, under his wings. And the third one, God will take care of you. We belong to a wonderful family, don't we? Faithful people in spite of that, worshipping God. This morning I'd like to talk about the value, value of placing your hand, our hand, my hand, into the hand of God. There are many verses that we could reflect upon this morning. We had a lovely passage in our scripture reading. There's another one in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 and it says, So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. My sweet wife and I and our daughters, we've been coming here for 10 years. We've been blessed by Spencerville Church and I guess after 10 years, we're a little bit at home here and we can get into a little self-disclosure, but not too much. You can relax. I've got to tell you that I'm fascinated, it's not a fetish, it's a fascination, with human hands. I enjoy looking at people's hands, like people's faces, like eyes, like complexions. They tell a story, the life story of a person. I'm not into fortune telling or palm reading, that's a, a devilish invention to try and predict somebody's future. This is more about the history of a person. Hands communicate. Sometimes a person's hands communicates more than the mouth of the person. In the first seven years of our ministry, Deborah and I were located in rural, remote, and outback places in Australia. And there I saw Australian farmers' hands. In an environment which has a dull, harsh, sunburnt countryside, where these people could eke out a living in that environment, their hands told the story of their life. These farmers, they have big hands, like a baseball mitt. They have an aversion typically to wearing gloves. I don't know whether it's the heat or they can't find a purse to match or whatever reason. But they don't seem to wear gloves. And so these big hands 
they're tough hands. And when they rub their hands together, you hear it. Musician's hands, they have dexterity, nimbleness, and they're extraordinary. Beautiful sounds and melodies are produced by musician's hands. I'm intrigued by the preciseness of a surgeon's hands. And nurses' hands always seem to be so hygienic. Their hands are the hands of service. They bring comfort and healing and compassion. But I've learnt not to mess with nurses' hands. Ellen White describes nurses' hands. She says, they're the Lord's helping hand. My dad's hands were amazing. There is nothing that my dad's hands couldn't make. I can remember watching the Flintstones, that cartoon on TV. My dad made me a car like Fred Flintstone's car. It even had a turned steering wheel. It was amazing. There was nothing my dad's hands couldn't fix. His hands were always warm. And you know, um, <clears throat> when I did something wrong, I discovered how warm those hands could make a certain part of my anatomy, if you know what I mean. My mother's hands were the softest, most gentle hands I've ever experienced. One of my earliest memories was she was holding me with one arm in one hand over the, the bathroom basin or sink, and she was cleaning my teeth. And after she'd been everywhere with the brush, she held and cupped her hand under the tap as the water flowed into her hand. And she held her cupped hand to my lips. And as I drank from her hand on my lips, I felt how smooth and soft the palm of her hand was. I've always kept that memory. The sweetest hands I know are the hands of my little girls. They're not so little anymore. But um, when they were young, to hold their hands as a father, I felt so proud. I guess now they're a bit big for that and it'd be sort of creepy if I held their hands. <laughs> the most exciting hands I've ever held, I can remember the very first day I held those hands. It was Sunday, October the 21st, 1984. I was a college kid. I drove an old, a very old, and a very green, think Boston Celtic green, that blue smoke Toyota. There was a goddess sitting beside me. We were driving home from Forrester's Beach on this Sunday afternoon, and I took a risk and reached across and took her hand, and she held on to my hand. I've never forgotten that day and the thrill of that. I've got to tell you, I thought my heart was going to break my ribs. It was pounding. It was, you know that old Beatles song, I want to hold your hand, you know? It was going on inside, and the thrill is still there, I've got to tell you. I believed, and I still believe, I was holding the hand of a goddess. This week I discovered the wonderful story of Minnie Louise 
Haskins. As a youngish woman in 1907, she departed from her home in England for Madras in India. Madras is known now as Chennai. She left home to be a medical missionary for the women of this great hot city. Madras is a city where for seven months of the year, the daytime average maximum is above 90 degrees. For two months of the year, it has a daytime average maximum above 98 degrees. The coldest ever recorded temperature in Madras is 57. You got a picture of this hot, seething city. She went there to help, a, help the women who lived with the abundance of poverty. While there, Minnie Louise Haskins wrote some poetry. In 1912, she put a small collection of her poems together in a book and published it. The book was called The Desert. It was used to raise money for missions. It wasn't a big seller. In 1915, with her own health compromised, Minnie Louise Haskins returned to England and she did more compassionate work in England and ultimately became, from 1919 to 1939, a tutor at the London School of Economics. The senior tutor described her as a woman of unusual capacity and character, a rare understanding and sympathy and infinite patience combined with a great deal of love and interest in people. She retired when she was 69, and she died when she was 81. She never married. God used this amazing woman and a poem that she wrote in 1908. If we come forward to the 1930s, England was in turmoil. There'd been a succession of prime ministers that endured the Great De Depression. They had a king that they loved, King Edward VIII. He was young, suave, and debonair. And the people adored this king. But when this king, whom they love, rejected the people and abdicated the throne, the people were devastated. This king preferred the love and preferred to be the third living husband of Wallace Simpson. It was time to call not on the heir but the spare, so to speak. And stepping forward was George VI, better known to his immediate family and friends as B -b 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 Bertie. They made a movie about this king, the king's speech. These were dark days for England. They were at war and they didn't have too many allies. And while Germany had a charismatic, all-conquering hero who could hold vast audiences in the palm of his hand with his oratory, England had B -b 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 Bertie. Even his wife, her name was Elizabeth, she's the mother of the current queen, or she's now deceased. She wasn't initially 
will appreciate it. At her pre-wedding ball, the Prime Minister, a man by the name of Asquith, described her as the poor little bride, as being completely overshadowed. Her wedding dress was designed by Madame Seymour, and in the words of a, her biography, Hugo Vickers, it was abysmal in its dowdiness. Wallace Simpson described Elizabeth as the dowdy duchess, or the fat Scottish cook. These were dark days for England. But Elizabeth loved her husband, and her husband loved her. The king needed to make a Christmas speech of 1939, a speech that would inspire the people and lift their spirits. And Elizabeth was a reader of poetry. And she discovered this obscure poem written in Madras, India in 1908. And she gave it to her husband and he read it as part of that address. It was called God Knows. What is that poem? It goes something like this. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. And he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone east. The hand of God. This invigorated the nation, inspired them, and transformed the nation. The hand of God. Why would someone put their hand into the hand of God? You know, a better question might be, why wouldn't somebody put their hand into God's hand? Because God's hand offers hope. God's hand is the source of love. All that's good on this planet comes from the hand of God. God gives life. God is the only creator of life. And God gives comfort. With God's hand, we don't just win battles, we win the war. During this week, a wonderful cousin of mine, a pastor, lost the battle with cancer. But he won the victory of life because he had his hand in God's hand. God's hand offers healing, protection, salvation, grace, and wealth. Helen White writes, it is God who blesses men with property. He does this that they may be able to give toward the advancement of his cause. He sends the sunshine and the rain. He causes vegetation to flourish. He gives health and the ability to acquire means. 
all our blessings come from his bountiful hand. She goes on and she says, the hand that sustains the worlds in space and holds in their orderly arrangements and tireless activity all things throughout the universe of God is the hand that was nailed to the cross for them. This is why we want to put our hand into the hand of God. You are engraved on God's hands. But like all romance, we can make a decision sometimes earlier in our lives in a baptismal pool to take the hand of God. But over time, the touch can become a little faint. Our hand can slip. In the reality of life, at times, we need to take a fresh grip of God's hand. We need to do this daily as we rise in the morning and as we retire at night. We need to take that hand. The Sabbath comes as a reminder to us that weekly we need to take that hand. And in the tradition of the Adventist Church, we are blessed each quarter with the Lord's Supper. And with each Lord's Supper, it's another opportunity to take God's hand, to take his hand in your hand. And at this time, I'd like to invite you to retire to the outer rooms and to hold God's hand and to wash the feet of someone. We're a friendly church. If you don't know the way, ask somebody. If you see somebody that may not know the way, show them the way. Take them by the hand and lead them. Let's depart now for this ordinance of humility. <laughs>